This is Richard Earle speaking to you from Tallahassee, Florida, and welcome to this episode of TRO Signal. Today, my co-host Linda and I are going to be speaking to Angela Hughes of Color My World, a private humanitarian organization with roots in the travel industry, leading a global effort to relieve human suffering by providing services, including sustainability projects internationally. Linda, I don't know about you, but my own humanitarian efforts have been far too limited. Have have you participated in projects tied to humanitarian goals? Not with travel, no. I mean, I've done humanitarian things domestically, but certainly nothing like what Angela and her company are doing. Okay, so we're a couple of slackers, but (laughs) our guest will hopefully make up for our karmic deficit with their own efforts. I want to introduce to our listeners, Miss Angela Hughes of Color My World. Angela, how are you? I'm doing great. And I want to make one correction. We're a nonprofit versus a profit that you just said. So Did I say profit? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I, pro- I actually said profit. <laughs> Pro- okay. <laughs> That's my West Virginia accent coming through. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Angela Hughes. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. I started out in the travel business when I was 14 years old, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. And I don't even want to tell you I'm 51 years old now. And so I'm old now. Um, But my family was, they they were real pioneers in the travel industry, working for some big names um, with Dave Neeleman of JetBlue, who was not with JetBlue at that time, with June Morris. So I would get kind of roped into like filing brochures and delivering tickets. And soon I was writing Dave Neeleman's charter tickets on his airline Morris Air Service and booking tickets like at 16 to Hawaii and all, you know, Mexico, all of these different places that they were going. And it just kind of evolved with my parents. Uh, my dad was vice president over marketing and I ended up going uh, to Brigham Young University where I did my bachelor's in travel and tourism. And then I did my master's in geography and tourism and hospitality and taught there for probably six or seven years. I'm an adjunct professor there this year again, because they went to a virtual model for a lot of their classes and also taught in the New Hampshire community college system for a couple of years. And so I have an academic side to me. I have a big sales side to me. And so I really started out as just a kid filing brochures, trying to get money for my driver's license. <laughs> so. That's so fun. Linda, I think you wanted to ask about some of the motivations behind a humanitarian project, what it entails. Yeah, I was talking about this in that you have the 501c3 devoted to humanitarian travel, and you're also a travel advisor specializing in luxury travel. So humanitarian travel is obviously a long way from luxury travel. Um, In fact, some would say opposite ends of the spectrum. And is your faith at the center of the mission that you undertake? And tell uh, tell us all a little bit about how you you reconcile your various travel interests and the motivations. Yeah, well, I mean, they're really two different polar opposites. Um, Our agency is a boutique luxury travel agency. And we've had this since 94, since my dad broke off from the Morris Travel business. And so we've always sold boutique bespoke trips and groups and properties. And so my first love really was creating 
travel itineraries for people. And the nonprofit came as an extension of that. And I I always think everything probably does come from my faith because my Mm -hmm. parents, I mean, I was raised in in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I spent 18 months serving a full-time mission voluntary in Osaka, Japan. So I speak Japanese. Yeah, worked a lot with the Buddhist people there. And so, and I was probably 21 years old when I did that. And that really was probably the foundation of my life. I always say I had my life before my mission and then my life after my mission. That really solidified me as a person. And so naturally, I think anytime, I, and, and I feel this way about all people, most people have the desire to give back to some degree or another to people, just in general. I think that's a natural trait we all possess. But over the course of my life, I had said multiple times, like, we need to be involved in humanitarian work. We need to be giving back. And I feel like you don't need to travel to do that. So I want to make that clear. I feel like you can lift where you stand, wherever you are. Yeah. And I feel like this crisis, the COVID crisis has proved that you don't need to be abroad to do that. There's opportunities all around you. And so we grew the travel agency and probably like in 2000, now I have little kids. I have four little kids back in 2000. And this Indonesian tsunami hit and, you know, over a hundred thousand people died in that. And there was a great need initially to send hygiene and different products over there so people could just basically survive. And so I gathered my kids and I was like, Hey, we're going to do this hygiene kit project and send it over to them. And we literally collected hundreds. I mean, really, and I can't even remember because it was probably 2001 or two, it seemed like in my mind, but we gathered tens of thousands of dollars in humanitarian stuff that was shipped over there. And then it kind of led me to an idea, you know, I'm talking to my kids and I I was telling them, Hey, in Africa, they're splitting pencils in half and threes. And of course, young moms have school supplies scattered all over their house are always buying new crayons. I'm a new crayon mom. I always like a fresh new pack when I color and, and new markers and everything. And, and I'm trying to teach my kids like, look, you have so much more than these kids in Africa. We should ship some school supplies over to Africa. And that's actually where our name came about, Color My World Kids. So we had our travel agency, Trips and Ships, Luxury Travel. And then we had the nonprofit that we started because we were collecting all of these donations. And it's interesting with people. They don't like to give outside. And I learned this early out. They like to give to an organization where they feel like they can get the tax cut. And so I had this idea in my mind, like, hey, let's start a nonprofit so people, we can get more donations because people don't trust unless you're a certified nonprofit that the money is going to go to the right places. And we've all questioned that in the past. And so the Color My World Kids, it's Color My World, but our website's Color My World Kids started because I was teaching my kids about the use of crayons and pencils in, in Africa and just wanted to come up with a catchy title that they could they could run with. And that evolved for probably 10 years where we were just collecting different donations and shipping them to different projects from the Haiti earthquake to, like I said, Indonesia, anywhere there was a disaster, the community was coming together. And we had some early sponsors with that. Disney, we became, and I can't remember the name because now it's been 20 years, but I want to say it was a Disney like change maker kid or something. And so we were in their magazine and they gave scholarships to the kids that we could use towards the nonprofit. The same with Prudential. One of our kids won a national award for the Indonesia project and Prudential gave out 
you know, X amount of dollars to the nonprofit. And we thought, well, we don't want to turn around and give that to another nonprofit. Let's, let's create our own. And so it kind of evolved and we worked off of $5,000 for probably 10 years that we just kept redoing and reusing. And it really went the distance. And then probably in 20, I don't know, I want to say it was 2012 ish. My son was doing his Eagle Scout project and we were putting hygiene kits together. And I said to him like, Hey, I want you to look in the eyes of the kids that are actually going to have the kit, you know, instead of just dropping it off in a container at, you know, the Red Cross or wherever, you know, because when you drop it off, you don't have that feeling of, you know, you have this feeling like you've done something, but it, to look into somebody's eyes who really needs it is, is a different experience. And so I, I turned to my husband and, and, and we've world schooled, homeschooled our kids our whole life. So I've dragged my kids all over the world before it was popular on Instagram and everything to do because they were missing too many days of school traveling. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, I'm just going to take school on the road with us. Now it's a thing. But back then it was not a thing. It was highly criticized. But I said to my husband, I said, I'm going to take, you know, our kids have been to Europe and all these different places. And they sometimes think a butler comes with it and an upgrade and, it, you know, and they have no idea that these are all perks of just the industry. But I called up a Christian mission in Tallahassee, Florida. I said, can we come down to your place in Costa Rica? And we roll in and it's just me and my two, two of my kids, my older kids. And no kidding, I did not know what I was getting into because we roll in, police everywhere, blood everywhere. There had been eight people murdered literally in front of the front doors of this mission that we were staying at. And they let us in, they locked the door. And I thought for a minute, like, what have I done to my kids? And what have I done to myself, really? I've just dragged them to an experience that we're probably not equipped to handle. And my son played basketball the whole time and the, the kids would come after school or they'd come to, to school there as well. And after three days, I was like, okay, we're gonna go out to the JW Marriott now. Now we're gonna start the vacation piece of Costa Rica. And we got out to the JW and my son said, we, this is so boring. We can't stay here. We need to go back to, to the mission. And deep down inside, I'm thinking, no, this is the best part of the trip. <laughs> you know, but I knew, I knew in my heart that like, I needed to take my kids back. He's like, we need to go get all brand new sports equipment. Have you seen the sports equipment there? And he had uh, played a basketball game and um, given an $80 pair of Nike shoes away and the shorts off of him. And he was just trading everything out. And, and it, it dawned on me that it clicked finally. It didn't click when he was doing the project or even when we first showed up. But I realized once we had walked out the doors that he knew exactly what, what we needed to do. And as a parent, you can't be like, no, we're staying at the JW and I'm not taking you back there. And so I loaded up, we went back, we stayed a few more days. And while I was there, I, that was when we were early blogging and early Facebook, you know, I'm showing pictures of the experience and about two dozen people were like, take me with you next time you go. And oh, it, yeah. in my mind, I thought, yeah, I have all the gifts and skills. I create extensive itineraries all day long. Like, why could we not convert that over into humanitarian trips for people? And, and the idea evolved. And we went to Nicaragua a couple months later. I worked it all out on the ground. And by June of the next summer, we had dragged 25 people with us over the border. And loosely, loosely, until my lawyer friend came along and he said, hey, you've got to tighten up. <laughs> 
<laughs> trying to have like, you just can't be dragging people, you know, across the border without a little tighter guidelines at the nonprofit, you know, and, and so it, it evolved. I mean, it took several years to evolve from, you know, the terms and agreements we had for people, mm-hmm. the insurance. I mean, we have to carry an extensive amount of insurance to go abroad from international kidnapping to, you know, anything that could happen, uh, you know, liability wise. And it just became a focus. It became a focus of my life. I, I realized that I was changing, not only doing it, but my kids were changing. And that was the real purpose of it. And then we we had that ability to like bring other people on board that were also having an amazing experience. And so it, it took a while to evolve and, and grow. And you know, soon we were up to six or seven weeks in the summer of every single week being packed. And, and I was living in Nicaragua for six weeks. And then I, an idea dawned upon me like, hey, these people want to do this again, but they don't necessarily want to come to Nicaragua, which is a beachfront surf camp that we stay in and work in a garbage dump. So <laughs> it's a real experience. But, and when I say garbage dump, literally the people that we're working with live on the fringe of a garbage dump. So I'm not saying that rudely. I'm saying that in real life. It's on the fringe of a garbage dump. But um, then the idea came like, hey, let's, let's create other destinations and throw in some, some travel appeal to it. So we ended up evolving into Peru and Guatemala and uh, Nepal, Indonesia, not Indonesia, um, India, um, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, and hopefully starting tomorrow in Tanzania, where I'm headed to, to look at our next program. But it's all been a labor of love. I do it completely for free. Um, I don't take a salary. There's no benefit. The nonprofit 501c3 world is a nightmare to to navigate. And But, you know, I'm so glad that we have a grassroots program that creates sustainability around the world. We always work with the same programs. And and back to the question whether or not my faith is a part of it. I I always think God's a big piece of when you're doing humanitarian work. I I always have a slogan that God's in the garbage dumps. And it's 100%... True. If you want to, if you want to find yourself and find your life, you have to do it. It's not in luxury travel. <laughs> and yes, they are too. It, it, people laugh because they're like they're two polar opposites, and they, they are. But you'll be much more happier giving back than you'll ever be staying, you know, at, at the Ritz Carlton alone. <laughs> well, I noticed that you have scholarships for some of your travelers. Now, tell me about that piece of the. This must be derived from some of your sponsors. Yeah, so uh, the sponsors come and go depending on the year. We've had sponsors. Um, doTERRA was a big sponsor for a couple of years that helped us with some home building products projects we did. And um, some of the sponsors have actually come from families who have traveled and they just want... I mean, there's lots of kids that want to go and our kind of age group is high school to early college. We find once once they've been in college a couple of years, then they're doing internships and they kind of move on to, to real life, so to speak. And parents will naturally pay for the trip until the kid gets to college. And, and then we always have a slew of kids that just can't afford to go. And I always wanted to make that a possibility. So I reached out to some families that had more discretionary incomes and asked them if they would sponsor somebody. And so every year, a couple of kids go free on a grant from the program. And that's been just a remarkable piece of it for us, you know, that we, because I, I feel like humanitarian work is, it is a discretionary kind of rich kids program, you know, kids want to send their kids out there and, and it doesn't need to be that way. You know, we try to be inclusive of all types of color and people and, and income brackets to come on our trips and make that possible for them. 
I think that's absolutely fabulous. How do you choose a destination? Wow. Um, it doesn't always come easy. Peru took us probably four years from the time I'd been to Peru multiple times and had it in my mind, like, is there some travel appeal with it? Because if you can throw on a Machu Picchu piece to it, then more people are going to want to go. But now that's where it crosses lines with the uh, nonprofit. You can't have someone because when people come on the trip, they're donating to the nonprofit in lieu of receiving the experience and participating in the experience. So then you have to, if you have a stop at Machu Picchu or you're flying over the Himalayas on a, on a private plane, which we do in Nepal, I have to run that through the travel industry sector, the travel agency sector, and they have to pay separately because you can't be cl- taking a tax deduction on a nonprofit side and then playing on it. For, a, for a pleasure trip or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you have to be right. working X amount of hours every single mm-hmm. day. And I, I'm really strict about keeping all those rules because I fear the IRS. And so I, I generally select destinations that have a lot of appeal to them. But it's, it's also got to be the right people on the ground because you have to find people that you trust. You have to have some NGO or nonprofit on the ground that's, that's sustainable, that is not going to steal your money, is, you know, we need cooks, we need drivers, everything to support the program. And we need projects that we can contribute to and, and help grow on the ground. And so, again, I feel like th- that's where I feel like, yes, my faith has come into it where Literally, I feel like I get to places and I find the right person, like God's directed me to the right person and it just works out. And I'm hoping for the same thing in Tanzania this week. And if it doesn't, then it's not the right place, you know? So I wonder about this in terms of, you know, your, your church or whatever, like the vast network, are you able to like start with some people through like, for example, your church in Tanzania to say, Hey, I'm coming. I want to do this. Can you hook me up? Actually? No. Um, we haven't, yeah, we haven't really used the church as a network. Um, I raised my kids on the East coast. A lot of, a lot of the kids that come on the program come through friends of mine, in the church and outside of the church, because again, we're not a religious nonprofit and our program just attracts outstanding young people, you know, outstanding young leaders. And they're looking for those types of things. Have I tapped into that network of people? Absolutely. Because they're absolutely, you know, our, in our church alone, in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think there's some amazing people throughout the world. Tanzania not a big population there. That's that's not a network that we're using there. I, I'd say most of our desti- none of our destinations have we tapped into the church. I feel like we've used that more to grab kids from to travel with because most of those parents are prepping kids to serve maybe a two-year mission for the church. And they're like, hey, this would be a great first step for them. But I mean, we have kids, Jewish kids come, Catholic kids come, no faith come. But yeah, I'll tap into any good resource that comes my way. Sure. <laughs> if it sure. Helps. Yeah. How um, how badly has the COVID situation affected your operations this year? It's been painful. It, it's been detrimental to the whole organization, just like the travel industry. Probably three years ago, we had a, a similar setback that pretty much prepped me for this. And I feel like it was a huge blessing in disguise. We were headed to Nicaragua. A big civil crisis broke out down there with the government and the people. And there was about 200 people killed in a matter of about six weeks down there. And, and everybody was airfared, uh, ticketed. And I'm, I'm sitting at a Broadway show in New York and I look at my phone and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like a, a civil crisis is breaking out down there. And, you know, the weird thing is travel insurance does not cover civil uproar. 
And my husband's like, settle down. You're going to be fine. I'm like, no, I mean, we're leaving in three months. This is not going to clean up. And we decided to cancel that. Well, we had to cancel that. I mean, it was a real high level of warning there and they were pulling embassies out and everything. I mean, and that's a problem with working in some of these places. You take huge risks when you go to some of the places that we go to and you can't drag people's kids into dangerous situations and, and my own kids. At that point, I rewrote all of our agreement to include a pandemic, not knowing because not four weeks later did a volcano go off in Guatemala and close down Guatemala. And we were headed there as our second trip of the summer And I was like, whoa, we could be in a lot of trouble if I send, because, you know, you're kind of operating as a travel agency. I mean, you're sending out money to tour operators and buses and different things to help you move the party around and so forth. And I I had that moment in my mind, like, whoa, if I send all of this money out, we're never getting it back and people are going to want it back. And that happened literally this year. And I will sit on the money till the very last day that we have to pay. And I won't work with people that make us send it early. And this year in February, I just had that early like feeling like, you know, I, I saw COVID coming in January from the travel business and I thought like sit on the money and I sat on it, sat on it. And I canceled, I canceled the day of the pandemic when it broke in the United States. And I'd already sent out very many, you know, several prep letters like, Hey, I feel like this is coming. Um, Cause I was seeing it coming in Italy and so forth. And, you know, people were like, no, hold on, don't cancel our trip to Nepal. That's clear in July. And yeah, so we're we're totally down and out. Uh, we actually refunded back all our money. It was not in our terms of agreement, but ethically, just being a good person, you know, we refunded everything back except two hundred dollars, which they could write off as a donation because we already had purchased insurance and a lot of different things to go towards the trips. And people were really happy with with that. But it's a total nightmare. I'm not going to lie. You know, I don't know where we're going to be next year. I'm, I'm moving forward you know, hoping we can do maybe Tanzania and maybe Nicaragua. I, I feel like Peru, Guatemala, they're going to be out for a while because we're losing Avianca and Latam and some of these airlines that help us to do business. And, you know, and what do we do if somebody gets sick on the trip? We can't have people hang back for two weeks with them in a country, you know, right. and, you know, I don't know We're we're going through all of those things, wondering how, how we're going to do things. You know, it's a, it's a process, but right now I'm just going forward buttoning things down. And if in January, February, we can announce one week and we only do one week. So, so you're going, essentially you're going to Tanzania with like a twofold purpose, the the luxury piece and the humanitarian piece at the same, at the same time. I think travel should always be twofold. And I agree I'm with you. Glad that you called that because um, you know, and in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot more tour operators and vendors get on this, this give back piece so to speak, you know, it makes every company look better. But I I think the bottom line is everybody's purpose in life, regardless if it's travel or whatever should be to give back and develop the lives of people around them. Now, I don't care Mm -hmm. what industry you're in, you know, and travel is a perfect opportunity to do that. You know, I think it's really true because a lot of times people think that, well, I'm just going to go on vacation. And then they wind up someplace, for example, you know, the Caribbean. And they get there to this beautiful island, to this gorgeous resort, to everything luxury. You know the drill. And all around them, what they see is really abject poverty. And people whose lives are, by our standards, you know, not what we would want for our families. And I think a lot of times that can be a real eye opener, you know, in, in terms of 
opening a heart that maybe just never really knew. You think, oh, those people all work at resorts. They've got good jobs. They've got great lives. That's not the case. Because sometimes the infrastructure, you know, is only really developed around the resort area. And by the time you move on into the interior, people don't even have electricity. So, you know. Well, across the street, actually. Right, right. And I teach that all day long in my classes at BYU of on economic development and sustainability, especially with tourism. And I'm a big believer on that. If you're going to travel, do something sustainable and make a difference. And I I feel like that's a theme that we talk about a lot in travel, but you don't see it happening that much. And it's hard hard to be both. It's... uh, you could take a salary from a nonprofit if you wanted. I choose not to, but you know, I work for free probably six months a year, and then I try to still make six digits the <laughs> the other half of the year. And and I, I've been blessed that way, and it and it's been fantastic. But I would I would pick the humanitarian piece um, with all of the stress that it entails, all of the danger that it entails, all of the weird things that have happened to us from flooding and countries to nearly dying to uh, just a million different things over the luxury piece any day. And it's because, I mean, you, you change as a person and people, people, I see this all the time. They sign up for the trips like, oh, I want my kid to go because I want him without Wi-Fi for the week and to, you know, and, and then the parents sometimes come and People go on these trips thinking they're making the contribution, but in reality, they're the person being changed and we're making little impact on the ground. I mean, we are, we're, we're donating, we're making change. We're, we're, you know, building water structures where we've built houses. We, I mean, we've made some real significant change. We've worked with orphans, with the blind, all of these different things. But volunteer tourism gets a lot of heat for taking that picture with the African kid and posting it on Facebook as being some white savior. And, and I disagree with that argument a lot because I do this summer after summer, you know, there, there's a whole argument with that. And I've spoke on that a million times. And, and I believe that some people do probably participate in it for that, that value, but there's a lot of good going on and there's a lot of good people around the world that are, that are giving back and that, that don't have any recognition and no talk and are making real change on the ground in foreign countries. And, we, I've had so many people come to me and they go, you could be so much bigger. You could get corporate donations. You could get corporations coming. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to be bigger. Like this was a family project that just was grassroots. We're doing what we can. I'm not interested in being corporate, nonprofity person. I, I think like I started with, you can lift where you stand, wherever you are, whether it's here or wherever, you know. I think that people have good hearts. I know you know this. People have good hearts and they they have a desire. Yeah. They just don't have the specific knowledge of, gee, I'd like to help. Well, what do I do short of, you know, write a check? That's what most of us probably think right, right off the bat. And you're like, yes, we will take your check and we'll yeah. take your kid and <laughs> was, we will go and we will do and now this. Now parents thing. are coming and started out with right. kids. Now, now parents want on board and... And, and that's been all the better for me, just having more eyes on the ground because mm-hmm. we some sketchy places and, you know, I, I'm scared sometimes for my children. But yeah, I, I think one of the biggest questions I always get is like, you know, I want to start a nonprofit. How do I do that? And, I'm, and my answer is always like, don't do it. <laughs> Honestly, like it, it's just the filing alone, the things that you've got to do, you know, if you're really going to engage and, and again, we developed over time. And so it wasn't something, you know, but I hear people do that every time they come on a trip, they're like, I'm going to start a nonprofit and we're going to do more of this. And I think 
just do something. There's so many great organizations going. Just tap into onto what's out there or take over my job because, you know, every year I'm like, this is my last summer. And then I book like five more experiences for people. Right. You don't have to reinvent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, it's simply a matter of, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, organizations doing fabulous work. So it's kind of a matter of, yeah, just support me in what I'm doing. This is, I think it's wonderful. It's not as glamorous as it looks. I mean, we try to make it really glamorous to make it, you know, to attract people to giving back, but a lot of it's not glamorous. It's 107 degrees in India in the summer. (laughs) Yeah, it's hot, stinky. I mean, you're working on the edge of a garbage dump. It probably smells horrible. Yeah, And you're telling the kids, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're seeing the Taj Mahal. That looks all amazing. But I mean, we're also working with kids that have been, trafficked and are in child labor and we're working out in a desert situation and you know they're they're planting trees at a school of kids that have been trafficked and you know I mean it's not it's not glamorous when you're on the ground a lot of times but there's not a person that doesn't come on the trip who is not 100% changed and I think that's the goal is that you change should always be the goal in your life change to always want to be a better person to give back Angela, I see that you're an adjunct professor at uh, BYU. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So like I said, early, uh, right out of graduate school, I was a professor when my husband was still in graduate school and actually playing college sports. And um, yeah, I I was real big on the academic side until we moved east and then had younger children. It was just hard to teach and be on campus. And, you know, I just went back into selling and and running the agency with my my parents. And then this year with the COVID, it went virtual and they reached out with an agreement and I had some free time and I thought, hey, it's a perfect opportunity to, I, I think it's really important, no matter what job you're in, is to mentor people. You know, I, I feel like the students right now are coming out of college and they're, they're looking at an industry that, you know, has 51% unemployment in the hospitality world and Tourism doesn't look bright right now. I, it, every day I get on and I get super excited when I lecture them. And, and then I get off and I know that it doesn't look so great that a lot of people are down and out right now. But the future... But you know what? <laughs> right. Look at, look at 9-11. And I mean, and the travel industry really tanked for a few years. and It was really hard. And then, boom, rebounded and the demand yeah. was pent up. And it's, it'll be the same. Yeah. Tourism we'll will rebound. Back. Yeah, I'm, I'm a real big optimistic person. And I won't lie, I cried till about June. I thought we were going to get sued. I thought we were going to lose everything. Um, my husband's in uh, orthopedic devices, electric, electric, not electric, elective surgeries and orthopedics were down or well, were off. They couldn't even operate. And yeah, I, there was a minute that I thought, hey, maybe the whole barn's going to burn down here. But I, I have seen so many blessings throughout COVID now and the creative space that it's created for us with this time. Once we got done canceling everything, this creative space has been really energizing for me and I'm really optimistic. I, I've got a lot of things cooking and we've had you know, a real uptick in sales. And it, I actually sold a river cruise group during the pandemic, a Christmas market group that just got canceled yesterday with Trafalgar. But we, we actually sold for hundred thousand dollars <laughs> the last couple, the last couple um, two months probably. And you know, so it, it's a good upstart for us. But I'm really optimistic. I feel like if you're not using this creative time, you're really um, at a disadvantage right now. And you know, I say to people, all entrepreneurs, like, let yourself grieve. You know, I think we're done with the grieving. Now, now get creative and get gritty and see what you can do with it. 
mm-hmm. bring it back. How, yeah, how we're going to yeah. build for the future, right? I feel stronger than ever. I mean, here, let's get personal. I mean, I gained like 10 pounds during that time. I mean, I mean, you know, eating chocolate chip cookies and all these different things because I was so stressed out. Now I'm down 13, you know, and now I feel like I've like got the control to like start going. And I mean, you, you, you can choose, and this is how it is in humanitarian too. You can choose what, what you want your life to look like. And I think living among people who have absolutely no shoes or clean water or, and li- sleep on cots, it, it, that's given me a lot of perspective in my life. Like we're not near as down and out as the rest of the world is. And guess what? They, they survive with the best attitudes and the day is bright for a lot of people in the worst circumstances in the world. And, and we're not even close to that yet. So I had to slap myself around and pick myself up and go, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love that whether you're Buddhist or uh, Muslim, right. I mean, I've worked with these people all over the world, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's just not Christians. It's people of all faith, you know, right. just look forward and believe that, you know, tomorrow's going to be brighter. And I, I can hardly stand scrolling through Facebook and seeing just that, the negative people. And I think, you know, it, you, you're just preventing yourself from growing. This is a great time for, for growth. Exactly. Angela, I'm guessing that you've made lifelong relationships with a lot of the people you've traveled with and with people in the destinations you've visited. Yeah, I think that's the best piece of everything that we do. I call it the Color My World family. And really, the people that come, I mean, I don't know them from Adam when they sign up. And when you travel to locations that have limited Wi-Fi and phone access, people just, it takes a while for kids to come out of their shells. It takes a while for parents to come out of their shells. And soon by the end of the week, everybody's crying and bawling and, you know, I miss you. I love you. And everybody stays in touch. And some of them have become truly lifelong friends. They've become board of directors on our foundation. The problem I have is I have about five foster kids around the world that we now support and and actually pay for too. And uh, it's really hard with the children. It's like I, you get attached to people and because we work with the same people, this is a great thing. It is sustainable. You know, I, I really probably have several kids in the U S because they're just not in other countries that have either lived with me or we've helped with college or whatever. And they really become part of our family. I mean, I have one kid in Nicaragua that, we're completely supporting him. He's on a mission right now um, for two years and he's just a big piece of our life. And I'd say there's probably five kids who uh, literally have a, have a bed at our house. And then there's at least four kids at the orphanage that I would have adopted (laughs) if we could have got them out of Guatemala. They were a family that all were abandoned there when their parents died of alcoholism. And, and the sad story with them is they were actually shipped off to different homes this year. And and my husband called one night and I was crying like a baby. And he's like, what does it matter? I'm like, oh, they've shipped off, you know, these kids. And now we're not going to see them again, you know, and they've separated them all. And, and, and I would have adopted them with all of their problems like years ago. And I think anybody would when you, when, you know, when you've been blessed with resources, you have a responsibility. Absolutely. Bottom line. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Angela, like I said at the beginning of all this, you make me feel like a slacker. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Well, listen, thank you so much for joining, Linda, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. I'm going to include your biographical information in the show notes so that people can reach out to you to find out a little bit more about what you do and about some of your uh, humanitarian efforts. 
Well, I appreciate that. And I really appreciate this opportunity because I rarely get asked to talk on the humanitarian piece in the really? travel industry. Well, I do in the humanitarian world and in a lot of different you know, events, people will have me speak on that. But um, I appreciate the opportunity to spread it, in, you know, on a, uh, first of all, on a platform that you guys have that's so outstanding. And then, you know, hopefully it'll inspire other people in travel to use their gifts and skills to make change. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you very well, much. Thank you. Stay safe. Thank you. Out there. Enjoy Tanzania, one of my favorite places in the world. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.